0: Stuart, Arnie, Jacob, podcasters, reviewers, searching for a film that can be both smart and entertaining. Then the upcoming release of The Avengers alters their movie viewing. And now the podcast hosts watch each and every film based on Marvel Comics' The Incredible Hulk. They're watching all Marvel movies and reviewing each at NowPlayingPodcast.com.
1: Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry.
0: (laughs) The Incredible Hulk series contains detailed spoilers for the Hulk TV movies and Ang Lee film, as well as mild language and subjects listener discretion is advised for the conversation that dwells within
2: today we're discussing the incredible hulk starring bill bixby susan sullivan jack colvin and lou ferrigno directed by kenneth johnson i'm arnie and don't make me review this movie. You wouldn't like me when I review this movie.
1: <laughs> that's my line, Stuart in LA. <laughs> and this is the host with proportions like those of a man but considerably larger, Jacob. That sounded dirty. I thought that's how it was meant to be taken in the film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry! After Doctor Strange, I I watch anything from the 70s, I am automatically... It's gotta have porn references to it. I mean, come on. It's the 70s.
2: And we are talking about The Incredible Hulk, not the Ed Norton film, but no, much earlier, the 1977 TV movie that launched the series. And I am... Really excited! This series has been part of my life for as long as I have memory. In my single-digit years, my pre-K years, I would watch this on CBS Friday nights before Dukes of Hazard. Then turn off that stupid talkie show Dallas because no cars exploded. I watched this again in my early teen years in junior high. It was being rerun. Watched it again in late teen years on Sci-Fi. Watched it in my twenties. Now watching it again in my thirties. This show love it actually i have an earlier
3: memory of hulk than this my first exposure to hulk was a cartoon that i think it was started in the 60s and ran the 70s only thing i remember about it is the theme song do you guys know dr banner turns into (laughs) the hulk Something with gamma race I I man it was like an all in the family thing. it was like <laughs> if they were playing a piano, you gotta find it. It's hilarious. like it's the most unsuper superhero theme ever anti unglamorous unglamorous yeah, that was the the woven part, yeah, it's amazing that was when you say Hulk, believe it or not, that is my childhood memory of Hulk.
2: I own that DVD set.
3: Oh, I'm glad to see that it survived the digital age. I didn't watch Hulk show. As a child, I found it tedious to wait for him to Hulk out. I wanted him to get there and be Hulk and have Hulk smash things. Of course, that's what you want as a kid. But this show, it just took too long. And that wimpy guy from Air Supply just took too long to turn (laughs) green for me. (laughs) I just I wanted it to move and I found it formulaic and boring and I maybe saw an episode or two but I never
2: never could hold my interest. You're not wrong. It is formulaic, but
1: Um I saw Lou Frigno at Comic Con the last few years. <laughs> I know I watched this as a kid. I don't have any memories. I have memories, of course, of Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk as a kid. I'm guessing, looking at pictures when I was a child, like the two Marvel toys that I had the most were a Spider-Man doll and a Hulk doll. And I'm sure I was like, Arnie, when you watched those Captain America movies as a kid, it was more about playing with your toys while that played in the background. I think that's probably how the Hulk was for me. I don't recall it. I haven't revisited it. I know I watched a few episodes as a child, and I'm familiar with Lou Ferrigno turning green and lifting cars and that, but not something I've gone back to.
2: Yeah, I had the Lou Ferrigno poster on my wall when I was like four. It was one where he had the bars behind him. There's actually a picture of me standing in front of that poster posing like the Hulk, but he scared me so much as a child that I had Superman on the other wall of my closet door, and they slid behind each other. And I'd have to slide the Hulk behind Superman before I could sleep so Superman could protect me from the Hulk.
1: Mm -hmm. Thus starting the debate who would win in a fight, Superman or Hulk. That's been going on for... 40 years now.
3: Well, you're right about one thing. There is something just innately creepy about Hulk. It's because I think he's fueled by anger that he makes both an attractive and a repulsive character. And I think that's what's interesting about Hulk, is that he is both a hero and a monster.
1: Well, and that's how he was created from the comic. Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, original writers and artists of the whole, did Fantastic Four, X-Men, all the big Marvel things, or a lot of them at least. Stan Lee, he wanted. Wanted to take Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and that's obvious. You have the scientist who turns into the monster, but they also wanted to bring in aspects of Frankenstein, who he's the misunderstood monster. He's scary looking, he can't articulate himself, everyone runs at him, and you know, when he acts out, it's because people are jabbing pitchforks at him, but he's not dangerous inherently.
3: Yeah, Frankenstein, I'm getting that a lot. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that.
1: Yeah,
2: and maybe it's because. When I was really young, they'd have Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends and the Hulk paired on NBC, but we have finally gotten to one of my two favorite Marvel superheroes with the Hulk, and the other one is Spider-Man, you know? I know other people affiliate X-Men or... Fantastic Four, I guess. I've never met anyone who goes Fantastic Four. No, no one does that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) No, never have. I've never seen the Mr. Fantastic tattoo, but I've seen Ghost Rider tattoos and X-Men tattoos. But Hulk and Spider-Man are always where it's been at for me ever since childhood. So I think this series looms large as to why as well. And what I didn't realize when I started researching this is that this was... The third superhero show, I knew Wonder Woman was earlier, but this was actually coming after the Spider-Man TV series. Huh. I didn't know that. So we'll be dealing with that pilot in a few months. But what happened was after Spider-Man and Wonder Woman were a success, CBS just went and bought a ton of rights. They called Kenneth Johnson, the guy who created Bionic Woman, and he'd worked on Six Million Dollar Man and said, we got a bunch of these superheroes. Who do you want? We got Hulk. We got Captain America. We got Doctor Strange. And Kenneth Johnson was like, none of them. I don't want to do that. And then he went off and read Les Miserables and was like, I could see this as the Hulk. So I'll take the Hulk and make a Les Miserables version of the Hulk.
3: Huh, Les Miserables? Does he sing later?
2: (laughs) He just thought this whole thing had a very Victor Hugo feel to it. Oh, wow. Okay.
3: You know what? I admire people that can see things in, like, comic books that create a dimension that may not be on page. I'll go with that. I will say this much. There is more drama here and melodrama here than you might think at first blush.
2: And like so many of these other made-for-TV, CBS movies, this had theatrical release, as did the second one. Turns out back then, like with Captain America, with these superhero shows, CBS would commission two pilots. I can't even imagine that in this day and age where they order ten minutes of a pilot to determine if a series happens or not. But back then, they'd hire for two movies, one for the origin story, one to be the first episode so that the executives could see what the series itself would actually look like, and then decide whether or not to go forward.
1: And when you say theatrical release, Where were these releases? It
2: was the 70s. Documentation on the internet isn't as full as it is today. I can't tell if it's theaters in the US, theaters in Hungary, maybe just a theater rented out for a (laughs) Comic-Con. But it's been in a theater.
1: But there was a theater somewhere where people could go see it.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Arnie, so was Star Wars 4 starring you and I. I mean, I don't think that it's amazing (laughs) that someone projected it onto a wall. But here we are, and I guess we've gone to TV before. It's not like X-Men didn't have its origins in TV, or Nick Fury, God help him, didn't start off as a Castlehoff movie of the week. It makes sense. This is an iconic moment for Hulk. Maybe even if it isn't his most True to the source material.
1: I would even argue that this TV series is what probably most people think about, at least people from our generation, think about when they think about the Hulk. Who goes to ang Lee or Edward Norton? I mean, I think this is much more iconic. For better or for worse, Lou Ferrigno, that's what people want when they think of the Hulk. Yeah.
2: I agree. Marjorie, my wife, has never been able to get past the fact that they've CGI'd the Hulk in the movies. To her, a big muscle guy in green body paint is the Hulk. And Even though that's not true to the comic, I do think for a lot of people, this casts a very long shadow over the theatrical releases of the Hulk that we will be doing. That's another reason I'm really excited that we're in Bill Bixby territory. Despite the fact that for almost 50 years now, the Hulk has been in comics created by a nuclear bomb and can talk, I think this is what people know of as the Hulk. I think this tv series outstrips the comic book in popularity and in fact the comic book flags in popularity it was canceled after six issues in the 60s and it has been one of those jobs that nobody wants to write on they have to always give the writer who's just scrounging for work and there have been some really hold
1: up arnie are you saying you're a hulk fan here with the comics because now you're going into my territory
2: i actually apologize (laughs) i didn't mean to but yes i've read every issue of the hulk till the year 2000 i kind of flagged in the past decade
1: Every, whoa! Wow. No, go ahead. It it saves me the job. (laughs) Maybe we were reversing places here. I've enjoyed the movies more than the comics. There's been a few runs. I really enjoyed World War Hulk and a few things like that. But yeah, the Hulk, never the most popular character. Though I think he has three or four series and there's a rainbow of Hulks going around at one time. I think it's just down to green and red right now. There's
2: several Hulks. I, I question that. But the Peter David run is some of the best comics ever, in my opinion. Peter David's one of my favorite writers, comic, or prose, and he wrote The Hulk, one of my favorite characters, and those two were a magical combination that I still read often, and I go back and reread those old issues. So, Yeah, but when he got the Hulk, nobody wanted the Hulk. Another interesting thing, Todd McFarlane, who created Spawn, came to fame because he was working with Peter David on the Hulk, and they took this D-level character who was only really in comics because this series was popular and made it a good comic for a change.
3: Who was the one that wrote the comic about how much Hulk loves Twinkies? Because that was the (laughs) only Hulk comic I think I ever read.
2: That
1: was Hostess. Yeah,
2: Hostess. Yeah. I remember that one. That was a good one. I miss those hostess ads where comic book characters told you, eat
1: sugary snacks. (laughs) I mean, to your point, Arnie, I don't want to get too spoilery for the Avengers. I'm not even sure what the story for the Avengers movie is, but based on comic book history, Hulk is an original member of the Avengers, but he only even lasted a couple of issues as a team member before he became something else. I don't want to get too much into it, but he's really only a hero in the Avengers for a couple of issues. So he wasn't an instant hit, like some characters have been.
3: Well, he pulled himself up by his bootstraps or whatever he wears on his feet when they're, they're not. His purple pants. Ribbing out Because <laughs> I think of him as being one of the biggest superheroes. I mean, I would say if someone said, name five superheroes, he would be in it. Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Hulk. Those, to me, are comic book superheroes.
2: And you just described theaters and primetime in the 70s. Yeah, true. But yeah, I think that people haven't really known what to do with the Hulk. He was created at first. He was gray and he'd only transform at night, kind of like a werewolf. He was a monster story where they were making the monster the hero. It was Frankenstein meets the werewolf.
1: One of the interesting things is because we've talked about the comics code before. You couldn't have anti-U.S. military stuff in a comic with the comic code authority seal on it and one of the main antagonists of the hulk is general ross and we'll see him in some of the later films but the hulk is often facing off against the u.s military and they said well there's just a misunderstanding they had to really justify it to be able to get those comics published
2: yeah he's a hard character to write for i think and i think some writers really find something to tap into but it's got to be one of those stories where the people around him are interesting because he's this addled brain of, of a child creature that's all strength. And we'll get into a lot more of that with the comics, but it is also here in this TV show.
3: What were the Hulk comics like that were coming out concurrently with this TV series? Were they like this at all?
2: You know, I was wondering about that. So I actually dug out my DVD with all the comics on it and reread all the comics from 77 to 83. Oh, my God. And I can say (laughs) that this TV series didn't influence them in the least. If you were watching CBS on Friday night and you decided, you know, I'm in a drugstore and there's a a Hulk comic, because back then they had comics in (laughs) drugstores. I remember. (laughs) You would be completely lost as to why the Incredible Hulk is fighting a green-haired psychiatrist or... (laughs) A big ball of electricity or a giant floating head. No, there was no influence of this show on the comic and quite the reverse as the series went on. The TV series started to incorporate more sci-fi elements. But what is strange, there was a Hulk newspaper strip. I knew about the Spider-Man ones. I actually collected the Spider-Man newspaper strips for about 12 years, cutting them out every day from the paper. I mean, you know, like the Phantom, the Shadow, all these.
3: Yeah, when they weren't good enough to actually be bought in a booklet, but were just, yeah, underneath Garfield and above Doonesbury. (laughs) Yeah, those crap ones. Mary Worth, where you spent all week waiting for her to open up a
2: letter. (laughs) I remember. Brenda Starr. Mm. Well, Stan Lee actually wrote a Spider-Man one himself for many, many more years than he wrote the comic. They did an Incredible Hulk one for several years, and it was TV-based. It was Banner going town to town and getting into adventures, so it was far more TV canon than comic canon, although it was a little bit more fantastical than what they had the budget for for the show. Hmm. I've actually gone out and picked up a couple of the collections of the newspaper strips since finding that out. <laughs> no doubt. I'm not sure if those will make it to Book and Nachos or not.
3: Well, why don't we get into the plot summary?
2: I'll try, but I'm no Ted Cassidy. Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist. When a car accident claims the life of David's wife, David searches for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Working with Dr. Elena Marks, David studies subjects who had exhibited extreme strength in times of stress, and realizes that all of the amazing feats occurred on days that the sun emitted extraordinarily high amounts of gamma radiation. Additionally, all the subjects had a unique DNA strain, a strain that David also shares. So David exposes himself to gamma radiation to try to recreate the events and give himself super strength, but the gamma machine was set too high due to a technician moving the tape on the dial. The accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters David's body chemistry, and on his drive home when he has a flat tire, David Banner grows angry and outraged, and a startling metamorphosis occurs. He becomes the Incredible Hulk, a super-strong, green-skinned, huge, muscular man, played by Lou Ferrigno, with a childish, subhuman mind. But as an outgrowth of David Banner, the Hulk follows David's moral code and will never kill. Elena and David try to research David's transformation, but are harassed by tabloid reporter Jack McGee. Jack was just looking for a story on their strength-enhancing research, but during one of the experiments to turn David into the Hulk, McGee breaks in, hides in a closet, and spills a dangerous chemical which causes a fire. David turns into the Hulk and tries to rescue Elena, but Elena is seriously injured and dies. Waiting outside the lab, McGee sees the Hulk and believes the creature responsible for the explosion. As David Banner is nowhere to be seen, McGee believes the scientist died in the explosion as well. Now, the creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead, and he must let the world think that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. And I did that in the spirit of the opening credits, which I can recite without any prompting. But what startles me with this pilot is it starts on silence. There's no that I just associate with this. The music is just silence. And within each of us, oft times there dwells a mighty and raging fury.
3: I thought the show began with him walking down the road hitchhiking and, and piano music. That's really what I think of when I think of Hulk. Yeah, that's how every show ends. Oh, okay. Well, that shows you what I know. Maybe that's all the part that I was always tuning in for.
2: <laughs> you were a big Dukes of Hazard fan. You watched the last two minutes of Hulk before Bo and Luke came <laughs> to jump some cars.
3: <laughs> well, that's not true either, but we can discuss that when the retrospective comes up.
2: And we start off with a David happiness dream montage.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. You mean bruce right no david banner no it's, it's bruce banner i mean they retconned it later to be robert bruce banner but bruce banner that's the hulk why would they change it to david
2: don't you think bruce is a little bit of a gay name because the cbs executives did
1: okay i wondered that what like because that's the stereotype like bruce bruce like that's not real though right
2: no according to lou ferrigno's autobiography which you can hear me review at books and nachos Why wow. shit
1: you not <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay. Which I bought from Lou himself at a con. Did
1: you pay the $20 for the Polaroid picture? Yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But according to Lou Ferrigno's autobiography, CBS thought the name Bruce sounded too gayish. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Now, according to the... Director's commentary of this, the director says he didn't like alliteration and his son's name was David. So he changed it to David to match his son. And it really pissed Stan Lee off. Stan Lee's like, no, his name's Bruce. (laughs) And so they made it David Bruce banner to appease Stan Lee. But the truth is it's been an urban legend forever that Lou confirms in his autobiography. CBS thought Bruce was gay.
1: I thought as a joke that like that might be the reason, but not for real, but it's for real. That blows me away. I mean, that's like Clark Kent. I don't know. Clark sounds too 1940s to me. Let's update that name to a 70s name. I mean. Kevin Kent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: I thought they might have done it because uh, Bruce Jenner might have confused people. It's not like there weren't Bruce's that weren't gay out there in the (laughs) the 70s, but he was in Can't Stop the Music. So maybe that took away his straight card. I don't know about Bruce Jenner. But I can say I didn't notice watching this movie that the name had changed. So it's David here. It's not even Bruce. I don't think I even picked that up. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They only say David about 200 times. It's like the Carol Ann of the Incredible (laughs) Hulk.
3: (laughs) It's Dr. Banner
2: to me, whatever he is. It doesn't matter.
1: All right, Arnie, go on. Sorry, I just had (laughs) to get that out of the way. It just seemed like a weird change.
2: So we get to see David and his wife happy in this montage
1: We get two disco ball shots in in about a minute's time here. Firmly placing this in the 70s. Yeah,
2: I swear with the filter they put on, I'm like, we just need a scene on the disco round. Oh, wait, there's a scene on the disco round. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like, this opening scene was a trip because I kind of like the minimalist music that's playing. It's almost very horror movie-like, very creepy with these shots, you know, they're Dancing at the disco ball, he's tailoring her bell-bottoms, she's playing with the cat, the car's blowing up, like, it's a real trippy opening scene.
2: I have to ask, how do you hem bell-bottoms? Don't they just become pants?
1: He was doing some kind of tailoring, living up to that Bruce name, perhaps, I don't know. She
3: was going wider this year. (laughs) Uh, You know, here's the thing, they didn't have music videos, really, per se, at this time, but if they did... This would be the music video for Air Supply or one of those light rockers. I mean, like the term yacht rock. There was a web series that kind of popularized that soft, mushy kind of sensitive guy with the guitar who would sing "Lost in Love" or what have you. Like, I feel like this is the imagery you imagine: kittens and New Year's Eve to that kind of music
1: and burning cars.
3: Well, the car is a different thing. That's yeah. Now that was when they got in their rough second album, but like, this opening montage is memories of his wife, he couldn't look more like one of these yacht rockers.
2: And really, I mean, that kind of plays to Bill Bixby's strengths, doesn't it? He's kind of like the more dramatic, less funny Alan Alda of the 70s. He's just a nice guy. He's always been a nice guy, whether he was dealing with Uncle Martin or whether he was Eddie's father. Bernie, I'll
3: be honest with you.
2: Has he ever done anything other than Hulk? Yeah, this guy has a huge TV history. I'll admit in the late 80s, I didn't even know it was him because it was black and white and he was so young. He did the My Favorite Martian TV series with Ray Walston.
3: Never saw it. I'm not a big TV viewer. To me, he just looks like a slightly less handsome Patrick Duffy. Like, they, let's get the guy from Dallas. Oh, he's already working. Uh oh, let's get somebody that looks like him.
2: Same hairdo. No, this guy has a huge history. The Courtship of Eddie's Father was a very popular show for many years in the early 70s. He was an established TV star by the time Hulk came around, and he didn't want to do Hulk. He was considered, you know, comedic or dramatic. He could do either, but when he was offered a superhero, he's like, I don't want to do it. And then he read the script and realized again, I guess the Victor Hugo effect, he then really became a part of this series and its greatest advocate. He'll direct some of the TV movies we do later when The Hulk
1: Returns. I'll just say this I don't know about any of his other work this is all I know Bill Bixby from I liked his acting in it I liked the way he played David Banner in this film maybe I'm
2: typecasting him because I grew up with this but I just think of him as the perennial nice guy
1: yeah which if you're doing a Jekyll and Hyde that kind of makes sense you want someone that's really nice so when this monster comes out there's more of that contrast there you know one of the things with the Hulk is there's always been this repressed anger and we'll probably get more into this when you get to Ang Lee's Hulk because that really draws where that repressed anger came from, but we're always fascinated by the serial killer, and you, you interview the neighbors, and they're like, no, he's always the nicest person where you never would have expected him, and it's yeah. like, what is it deep down in someone that just finally snaps or they seem so perfect and normal on the outside, and with Bixby playing Banner, he brings that normal, nice guy feel to it.
3: Yeah, I agree it works. To me, what I go to reference would be Norman Bates. He's got an Anthony Perkins kind of vibe. You would not think that he would ever get angry at anyone. So thus the irony that he has this green monster waiting to burst out of him. He's
2: envious?
1: (laughs) You, You know he's only green because printers back in the time had a hard time doing gray. Yeah. No. Yeah, the first issue, the Hulk was gray, as Arnie said, and he appeared different shades of gray and even green because the printers couldn't match gray that well. So that's the explanation behind just about every superhero why they're so brightly colored because that's how printing technology was at the time.
3: But this this character would be nowhere without the green skin. Nowhere. A gray monster. Terrible. That would never have been revived. Everything hinges on green. They were going for
2: Frankenstein.
3: Frankenstein's that green?
2: Well, the black and white movies they're basing it on, he's gray. (laughs)
3: Ah uh, Yes, he's gray because it's black and white. But uh, Frankenstein is green in any color version I've ever seen of him. I, it's, yeah, green monsters. They go hand in hand.
2: Actually, when making this show, Kenneth Johnson wanted to change the Hulk to red. He's like, green is not anger. Red is anger. Hulk should be red. And Marvel said, no, he's green.
1: And then Marvel stole that idea.
2: And now there's a red Hulk. And so we see that his wife died and he's tormented. And that happened 11 months before. So he's been having nightmares for 11 months. And then he goes to his day job where he's a scientist researching people who get strength during times of stress.
1: And a place that has sexy scientist ladies that don't mind getting sexually harassed.
2: I noticed that too. (laughs) I want to get a job there. Yeah, but she has to carry huge reams of paper around. I'm like, thank God for thumb drives.
1: I love Elena. Like they're interviewing one of these ladies. that was able to lift a car and she's like, I've always been 110 pounds my whole life. And Elena's like, Oh, you're so lucky. I wish I could do like, we're <laughs> trying to unlock DNA and she's trying to get like <laughs> dieting tips from people.
3: <laughs> well, she's got to lift those manuals.
2: <laughs> it's not fat. It's muscle.
3: Yeah, if we get funded for more research, I don't know how I'm literally going to
2: lift it. (laughs) I just love 70s TV. They're in a lab. How do I know? There's a periodic table the size of a wall. (laughs) They don't know the periodic table,
3: but it's there just in case. They didn't have any bubbling test tubes. I was disappointed (laughs) about that, or smoke. That would have really sold it. But yes, it is a stereotypical laboratory setup. You know, it's weird to me. The movie gives a lot of consideration to the scientific research. They don't just have one or two scenes of them saying that we have shots of DNA and they talk of mitochondria. They really want us to take this seriously. This is played straight here. I find that impressive and, in some ways, the wrong approach. Because... (laughs) 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 Clearly. We all know adrenaline and stress, what makes the mom lift the car to save the kid and all of that kind of thing. I mean, that's documented.
1: But but when was that? Like, I get that now, but was that a well-known fact in the 70s?
3: Yeah, I feel like that was something that was an apocryphal story that was told on playgrounds of you can get superhuman strength. Your mom will turn into She-Hulk if you drive off the road. Don't worry about it. I remember having similar
1: thoughts. I'm not going to disagree with you Stuart that they maybe dwell on this too long but here's what I like about it back with the first Ghost Rider movie I said I wish they set up more as a mystery why is this guy suicidal and could come back to life every time that's what they do like this opens up with this horrific wife dying scene which usually bugs me when it's the man's motivation to avenge his dead wife or whether it's such a bad stereotype but what I like Here is that they use this to set up a mystery. Why wasn't he able to save his wife when this 110 pound lady was able to save her child? And all these other, why is he the one person that didn't get these superpowers when everyone else around him did? And I like that they set up this mystery. So even though it's pretty slow paced, scientific, we're going to be looking at charts and in microscopes, it's slow paced, but it's already drawn my attention because they've set it up as a mystery,
3: but at the same time, is this what scientists do? Basically, I feel like he's mobilizing all of Culver <laughs> laboratories to to ask the fundamental question: Why am I such a wimp? <laughs> Why can't the German that's ironing clones outbench me? It's all about him. It's all about him. He's not trying to get to the heart of what makes people angry and untaps their body potential. He's thinking about why he is such a weenie. I'm like, why don't you go next door and get some flag steroids if that's really your bag here? Maybe go to the gym. I'm just saying.
1: I'm not going to lie, Stuart. That did cross my mind. Because it does go on for so long, it becomes a pity party for him. It really is. He's jealous. He's green with envy that he couldn't lift the car when everyone around him could.
3: Write a light rock song about how much you loved her. A Barry Manilow tune. I mean, he'll probably (laughs) sing it. I just, feel there are other ways to channel this grief than into this research. And he's not very good at it. When he's interviewing them, he's totally projecting himself (laughs) and getting mad at the people as they tell their survivor story. You
2: know what, though? I liked this about him. It really makes me empathize with him that he's so tormented. That this is what he's going through, that it's like he's plagued with self-doubt. Did I not love her enough to get angry enough to open the door? Why couldn't I save her? I love that he starts off the whole series tormented and haunted. It works for me.
1: I agree with you, Arnie. It works and it draws me in, but it does go a little bit too long. This whole pilot could have been wrapped up in an hour instead of 90 minutes. That's going to be my thesis for this podcast.
2: I can't deny that. The other thing I wonder is how did he get so much research going in 11 months? Was he already studying this before and just happened to have the accident? Or did he make a lot of headway in 11 months?
3: Yeah, no, those are good questions. It defines this series. I'll look at it this way: the, his melancholy is permeates the entire show. This show is mostly a melodrama. It feels like a soap opera to me. I was surprised to realize how little of a superhero or even a monster movie this TV series really is. I mean, at the core, it is about a guy grieving over his wife again and again. And again, and again.
1: But, Stuart, it's also about a guy who can never get close to anyone. I mean, can you imagine him? He's living with a woman. He burns himself on the stove, and he flips out and smashes the house. Like, this is a person (laughs) that's totally isolated from everyone because of what happens to him. Mm -hmm.
2: But that's after the Hulk. Yeah. That's, you know, after he hulks out. At this point, he's just really tormented. Well,
1: his wife just died 11 months. ago. I mean, come on. I'm not going to hold that against him.
2: And what bothers me about that, though, is when we are introduced to him outside of the dream, he's working with Dr. Marks, Dr. Elena Marks. With Elena, don't we immediately see the chemistry there? Like, he shouldn't be finding solace in his research. He should be finding solace in Elena's
1: arms. She totally wants to do (laughs) them.
3: Yeah, this sounds like Love Story or any of those kind of 70s melodramas about they can't be together because of his own grief. And yeah, it just feels very, very soap opera. Which is not even to say a bad thing. It, just, it is a defining characteristic of it. You need to be prepared for that. You need to understand that this is not going to give you the id pleasures of watching Hulk smash right
2: away. I had to laugh, though, because they also try to show he's a nice guy. They have some interview subjects coming in. He's going to go out for donuts. He's going to the donut shop. Comes back. The donut shop had one donut, so he's going to cut it four <laughs> ways? Could he not have gotten
1: a different snack?
2: <laughs> oh.
1: Was there only one donut left? Was there not four?
2: Everybody's getting a quarter of a donut, but yet he ends up sharing his donut with Elena, so we know it's love.
1: And that's why she's more than 110 pounds. Lay off the donuts. (laughs) (laughs) And she has eggs
2: everywhere. You want an egg? I got an egg right here. (laughs) Scramble it up. Some
3: protein. You might be able to lift the next volume.
2: (laughs) She wants to show this little kid about an eggshell being strong you know that whole fifth grade science thing and she just reaches down and i just happen to have an egg
3: yeah i love that mr wizard <laughs> moment in that because think about it he's your audience yeah the mom and the son have shown up at the lab we're projecting ourselves into bj we're projecting ourselves into the kid and yeah seeing a magic trick in which you can't crush an egg i would have thought that was cool then
2: i do like here that bj's mom has an accident that's almost identical to David's. I mean, they roll the same. The fire comes out at the same point. I honestly, if the cars had been the same color, I'd have thought they reused the footage.
3: Like they shot it on the same day, maybe? (laughs) Yeah, you like that, huh? I thought that was a little lazy, but all right.
2: But the way David reacts, you know, I said, I think of Bill Bixby as a nice guy, but David Banner here seems to have some rage issues. Like he's slamming papers. I'm wondering if he was abusive to Laura when she was alive. I mean, this kind of anger to inanimate objects, it's
1: a little scary. No, no. Come on. There's got to be some stress involved when your wife dies. Yeah. Like, and you're researching yeah. why you are too much of a pussy to save her. Like, that's going to get to you, right? <laughs> right. I could go with it. Yeah, he
3: needs to find a different line of work. He cannot be the objective scientist listening to how other people. And this one's like, she doesn't get it. I guess she doesn't know him, but she's like sitting there grinning, like, oh, yeah, it was just amazing. I just did it. I flipped it up and then I twirled it on my finger like a Harlem Globetrotter, and it was great. <laughs>
1: What confused me, like, yeah, because this scene was almost exactly the same tragedy that he had. I'm like, I- is everyone like this? But no, then they bring in the German woman who <laughs> saves people from the leaking gas, who, you know, my parents died that way in Germany. Like, that's her life. Lo- I'm like, they-, they bring in a Holocaust survivor? Like, wow. There's
3: the non-vet that gets shot 17 times and still saves
2: his body. My favorite is the stereotypical Italian New Yorker.
3: Yeah. All of them, again, it plays as comedy to me because you can just see, yeah, this little nerd seething about how everyone else was able to tap into this. I like it as a conflict, Arnie. I like what it's trying to do. I just think dramatically these scenes are corny and unintentionally comedic.
2: I don't think that they're unintentionally comedic, although, yeah, the mother with B.J., They're both really bad actors, and that's kind of funny. I mean, she's like, when she goes, I've raised up the car. She's got her hands out, and it's reminded (laughs) me of, like, Joey when he was being puppeted by Freddy in Nightmare 3. I mean, the acting is bad. It goes on a little long, but I'm into it. I can't explain it, but I'm into it.
3: Yeah, It's a vibe you'll either go with or not. I get it.
1: And I'm right there with you, Arnie. I was going with it. As corny as some of these things were, My attention was with
3: it. My attention was on her cheek. I thought she had vitiligo. It took me a while to realize it was a burn
2: mark. I'll admit I also thought vitiligo as well. But yeah, the only unintentional comedy comes for me through the wardrobe. Like they show a close-up of a reflex test on somebody in some plaid pants. And on my high-def TV, that was blinding. But no, I'm going with all of this. But it is 20 minutes of interviews about I became strong. Yeah. (laughs) But then our antagonist shows up. Mr. McGee, Jack McGee, the tabloid reporter who's researching scientific educational research. Arnie,
3: I remember you taking us to task, Brock and I, during Child's Play because we didn't know that Jack
2: McGee was in the movie. So this is- I remember it differently. I remember Brock and I taking you to task. Donors (laughs) will have to go back and find out. I thought you were the only one who didn't know Mr. McGee.
3: Well, they can tell us in the forums. But yeah, I remember this much, thinking this was going to be a big deal when I finally saw Mr. Jack McGee. This guy? This tabloid reporter? (laughs) This is what I was supposed to remember and hold on to?
2: Well, he plays this character every episode for five years, Yeah, and he comes back in the late 80s movie. I mean, this is his defining role. He's done some other stuff. He was in Six Million Dollar Man, but his career is The Incredible Hulk, and I guess now he's an acting teacher at USC.
3: He's no villain, he's a nuisance, but this guy, I don't see him working in the way that you need for a villain here. I was underwhelmed when I finally got my purview of Jack McGee.
2: Well, maybe in future episodes. Remember, this is the pilot, we're setting it up, maybe later you'll start to get him, but... Here, this is his introduction, and I just don't understand why he's researching their strength thing. I mean, he's like, it hits people where they live. And I think Bill Bixby sums it up best. I mean, you write about aliens and Farrah Fawcett.
1: Yeah, murder, rape, horoscope, UFOs and Farrah Fawcett. And legitimate scientific research, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, more to the point, what scientists
3: aren't craving for attention because exposure equals Funding. I mean, he would want to be promoting their research. This conflict doesn't work. But I understand that we need to have somebody snooping around that's going to cause problems and misdiagnose what the Hulk is. I mean, the Hulk is really based on a misunderstanding. And this is the guy that will popularize the monster.
2: So then after 25, 30 minutes in this, we finally find out that it's the DNA. There's a flaw in the DNA that allowed the strength. And David has that flaw, but because of a solar flare, they can't do the DNA test anymore. And he just by coincidence finds out... Gamma rays from the sun were very high on the days all these feats of strength occurred.
3: Blah, 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 blah. Go get a snack. Blah, 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 blah. Have a Twinkie. Blah, blah, blah. Think about Hulk eating Twinkie. Blah, 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 blah. Wish Hulk were eating Twinkie with me.
1: Blah, 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 blah. God, man. Come on. Really? I, I just love that this microscope goes to 1 million with a piece of tape on it. Like I'm having spinal tap. It goes to 11. My yeah. microscope goes to 1 million. And it's a piece of tape, which plays an important piece of the plot later on. Yes, it does. That tape is a key. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and he tries to call Elena. But the one time in Lena's entire life as we know her, she is out <laughs> with somebody, not David. So he's like, ah, screw it. I'm going to hop in the dentist chair and zap myself.
3: Yeah, There's no reason why someone would want to sit and be exposed to gamma rays, right? I mean, that's not helpful.
1: No, wait. We just talked about how pissed off he was about being this wussy. Wouldn't he want to do this? Like, he goes and he tries to lift up that cart that he can't even get a couple inches off the ground? Like, he wants to do this. It makes sense why he's going to experiment on himself.
3: My point is, scientists have no reason to put people in chairs and shoot them full of gamma rays. There's no point for this object existing other than the fact he needs an object to do this to him.
2: Listen, this lab has everything. We're going to get into it. It's got hyperbolic chambers. It's got gamma... Chairs, this is the yeah. best-funded scientist lab ever.
3: They do, yeah, and we don't want anyone knowing what we do. We don't promote or fundraise.
2: They have to have come up with one hell of a patent. You know who I think it is? I think it's the guy who puts the tape on the machines. He's got to be getting patent after patent, because the Gamma machine is supposed to go to 300,000. This genius tech took this machine built for 300,000 rads and made it go to 2 million rads. This guy has to be bringing in <laughs> And all the funding. Mm-hmm.
1: And I figured it'd only go to $1 because there was that same piece of tape on it. I was surprised when it went up to $2 million. Yeah,
2: this guy is a genius tech, although he's the nutty professor because he just marks everything with masking tape. <laughs>
1: oh wow whether or not this scene makes sense yes i like how it is shot i like the atmospheric take it's very slow and deliberate it almost reminds me of something from kubrick's 2001 the way this chair just rotates and moves around and i'm having flashbacks to doctor strange now i just like the atmosphere of it and Uh and that's keeping me engaged
2: This scene, I can't judge it. I just, I'm in love with it. It's like trying to be objective. This scene in a montage form started every episode of the Hulk. And so I see it. It's iconic to me. How do you judge an icon? It just is. It is perfect in my mind.
1: And Arnie, I can come to it objectively. This is not a scene I remember from the opening of those Hulk episodes. I know I watched, but I don't remember. And probably the standout scene for me. I loved just the way it was shot, the rotation of the chair. Again, that slow, deliberate music playing. I really like this.
2: Yeah, all the credits that every episode has came from this pilot. And so certain lines in here, this chair scene and the coming up car scene, those are the credits. Until I bought the DVD box set just a few years ago, I'd never seen this pilot. I only knew these things happened from the credits. So to see them play out in long form enthralls me.
1: And I got to say, I think this is a first for any Marvel media. You could probably correct me if I'm wrong, Arnie, but we see DNA mutating. I mean, come on, this has been an X-Men. It's even in the opening credits of many of these. Daredevil, Spider-Man, the big budget Hulk movies that are coming. That mutating DNA is such a staple in Marvel movies for me. Like, I kind of got excited when I saw this for the first time, this 70s take of the mutating DNA strand.
2: Even though it looks like a freaky lamp that was malformed, I love it too.
1: (laughs) It's a broken lava lamp. Yeah.
2: And then he goes out, tries to lift the gurney again. Still can't lift it. He's pissed. He drives angry, it's raining, he hits a barricade, and we get the first metamorphosis that we will see in every credit sequence from now till eternity. The wide eyes, the tearing shirt, and Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk.
1: I just gotta say... He's going to hulk out over a flat tire. This is, like, a bad day. Not being, like, super <laughs> angry. It's like, I stub my toe, I trash the place. Like, he trashes his car over a flat tire. Like, I've had flat tires, like, on really important dates that really bummed me out. But probably not enough to
2: hulk out and smash a car. Do you keep in mind, this was before roadside assistance, Jacob.
1: <laughs> I changed my own tires. I don't use triple a for never no, for none of that i mean come on
3: but keep in mind jacob that this has happened to him before and the last time it killed his wife rather than turning the hulk i think he needs to get a class action lawsuit because <laughs> clearly there's something wrong with the tires that he's buying <laughs> not
1: just him but the other people he's interviewing
3: exactly that's what they need to get a class action lawsuit and take care of this and then you don't get
2: the gamma out i don't know if you drive over a road barricade i think that'll pop any tire
3: Anyway, what struck me about this, and it was the first time that I thought Frankenstein, because I had never put Hulk and Frankenstein together, because I don't think about Hulk all that much. But it was (laughs) the lightning. When you see the lightning in the creation of the monster in the lab, I was like, hey, this really does feel like the Mary Shelley character. I started to get into that mode, and I started to see the show in that framework. I kind of like this transformation. I dug it.
2: Yeah, the transformation It's limited by the technology, by the TV budget, but you got to think, the ripping shirt, the green muscles, the contact lenses, they do this twice an episode, every episode for five years, and it's effective. Now, Lou Ferrigno, I don't know how familiar you guys are with Lou before and after this. Jacob, you said you've met him at cons, I've met him at cons.
1: I haven't met him, I've seen him, and I've been told not to try to take his picture, because if he sees me, he'll turn around and smash it, because you can only purchase his $20 Polaroids.
2: Oh, Hulk smash your camera? Yes. <laughs> that might
3: be worth it in and of itself. <laughs> Who wants a picture when you can have a souvenir broken <laughs> camera
1: done by Hulk? <laughs> I remember my first con with you and Marjorie Arnie and Risalu Frigno and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna try to sneak a picture. And Marjorie's like, ooh, don't let him see you. He gets kind of upset about that. You can only use his Polaroid camera.
2: He's very intimidating in real life. He's still very muscular. He's very tall. It turned out Arnold auditioned for this role and was considered too short. So when you think Arnold's too short, you know what you're dealing with here. And also, in, there's one scene still in this. This role was originally Richard Creel, draws from the James Bond films that we may be talking about later this year.
3: Oh, yes. Jaws, silver teeth,
2: yeah. Yeah, but it's Lou who had the world record at that time for the biggest arms in the world at 26 inches around.
3: Yeah, he would have been just coming off of the documentary Pumping Iron as well. I think that his name would have been known by a larger circle of people other than where I live in Venice Beach. I mean, he had sort of become a a star, a Mr. Universe contender with Arnold, and Schwarzenegger would go off to do Stay Hungry, and he did this. It looked like he had won in the early years.
2: (laughs) And the makeup they use on him... I was shocked by seeing it in this pilot because it's not what I remember from my poster. They tone it down as it goes on. Right now, he's in this like apple green fright wig and has a huge appliance on his forehead and some eyebrows that really need a waxing. (laughs) But they tone those features down later on.
1: Yeah, he seemed in this one much more beastly than I had remembered. Much more furry, I guess.
2: (laughs) You know, I have a story to tell about Lou Ferrigno's pain. The very first making of anything I ever saw in my life, and it was the first time in my life I also had a scheduled program, Lou Ferrigno was on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And Mr. Rogers left his neighborhood to go to the Hulk set. And we got to see how Lou Ferrigno transformed into the Hulk. And we got to see them put the nose on and got to see him paint him green. I'd never seen anything like that before. And you know what? Even though they were explaining it all, I still got scared at the final stages when he was fully hulked out. I'm like, oh, no, what happened to Lou? How old were you? I was four or five. Okay. That's fair enough. I was not like nine. Yeah. (laughs) No, this was last week. (laughs) And he smashes the car and then runs off to the lake.
3: And if I wasn't getting Frankenstein before, I mean, a shot of the beast and a child by the lake, that's just classic Mary Shelley. I mean, they're really telegraphing it at this point. Think of the story as Frankenstein.
2: Yeah, it's very obvious. I've not watched a lot of Frankenstein. I've seen young Frankenstein a lot, so I know the scene. <laughs>
3: I love that about you, Arnie. If
1: only there was a Michael Bay version of Frankenstein, you'd be more familiar.
3: <laughs> oh, we will do the classic horror characters once, I believe. Some podcast. We'll, we'll I'll get be it. the
2: newbie. Yeah. But he scares the girl, then saves her. So we're being shown that he is a hero, even though it's a situation of his own making.
3: Right. And even withstands bullets, which does not cause him to attack her father. Do you think if it wasn't her father, if it were a cop or something, he might have attacked him?
2: I don't think so. I mean, he doesn't in the next five years. Oh. And Hulk getting (laughs) shot in the arm is the classic Hulk wound. He gets shot in the arm a lot. It's it's always in the arm. You know, it's because you have to show that this is trying to be more realistic than the comic, where Hulk can basically fly because his legs are so strong, he can make superhuman leaps. Mm. And Hulk is impervious to bullets. And in the comic, the Hulk literally lifts a mountain. Single-handedly. I mean, so they toned it down for realism. They have to make him pervious to bullets, but also heal quickly. And it's the classic TV staple. When you throw the villain in the water, the fight's over, the villain's wet, we're done. (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah i was kind of shocked that bullets hurt him in here because i am more familiar with the comic where the madder the hulk gets the bigger he gets i guess that's a problem when you only have one actor that could play the hulk you can't make him bigger so i guess he didn't get large enough to block the bullets
3: i think him bleeding humanizes him i think that it's the right choice if i had seen this and he wasn't able to get hurt i wouldn't think that he could be hurt And I like the fact that they're defining that he is essentially an angry child. I mean, it will be narrated for us later
2: when he gets to Elaine. Okay, we cut to Elaine who's in the shower. Yeah, this counts for
3: TNA and 70s TV.
2: (laughs) I have a question. If you're in the shower and the doorbell rings, do you answer the door?
3: (laughs) You do when you're on television. (laughs) And you're meant to attract people that may not be going for this
2: muscular green guy. And apparently being the Hulk makes you thirsty as he, like, Drinks gallons of orange juice in the scene.
3: I kind of like that as a detail that he dehydrates. He didn't seem particularly sweaty to me, but I like the idea that there is something physically that happens. There's a ramification, a hangover, (laughs) if you will, for being the Hulk.
1: Well, we do know that his body's healing factor has accelerated. They comment that on the gun wound later. So, I mean, his body is working overtime. He's got to fill it up a bit quicker, I guess.
2: Hopefully his metabolism has also sped up because that's a lot of sugar to burn off.
1: Uh He may be that 110 (laughs) pounds Elaine wants to get down to.
2: (laughs) And then Jack McGee shows up. Elaine is getting a lot of visitors that morning and sees David in the reflection when he's hiding in the bathroom and thinks that, ooh, they're lovers.
3: Now the story's getting really good. Scientist in love. That's front page headlines. Jesus Christ. Could he go <laughs> report on a Yeti or something? Like, <laughs> Are there alien babies he can put in the national, whatever it is? I feel like he's barking up the wrong tree. If he's looking for dirt, scientists aren't it.
2: I just hope Elena always closes the door when she uses the bathroom if you can see a reflection into her toilet from the door. But now the more scientific tests come. I can tell Stuart's going to love this.
3: Yes, this is actually the biggest laugh. I was disappointed at how few laughs there were in this pilot. I was accustomed to Reb Brownish amusement throughout my TV movies. <laughs> this one is Reb Brown worthy, I gotta say. The hyperbaric chamber in the Southwest Lab that he has to recreate the stimulus that caused his blackout and <laughs> raining and an electrical storm means. Opening up a water pipe, and what, does he stick a penny in a light socket? How does he get the spark?
2: They have, like, a Frankenstein, like, Van de Graaff generator off in the background.
3: <laughs> oh, it's his own machine. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. All right, yeah, I mean, this guy should not be a scientist if this is his idea of scientific <laughs> observation and recreation. He should be building volcanoes with Bobby Brady. This is not the work <laughs> of a competent man.
1: Yeah, this scene, I'm not a scientist, Okay, but if I thought I had some mutation that made me into a creature, I wouldn't test it by turning out the lights and pouring water on me. That just seems the weirdest place to start when you spent the first 45 minutes of this movie looking at one million times magnified DNA strands. You're going to turn off the lights to test it?
2: (laughs) It's dark, it's wet, there's a strobe light. Elena needs to be on the other side of the glass with him.
1: I love that Elena, the sexy scientist, did you see what she's wearing? Like, she's doing scientific research in a sheer see-through <laughs> blouse with just pockets covering her nipples. I want to be a scientist with her. I've noticed her co-workers are always very happy to see her, yes. I'd be sexually harassing
2: her, too. Like I'd be turning the air conditioner down. <laughs>
3: I mean, I just think it's funny that the guy's doing all of this. She's observing and he's incredulous. Why won't it work? Why won't this work? Well, yeah, I mean, really, this is not going to work. A child. BJ could have told you that. But what does work? Dreams of the dead wife. Of course, they bring us back to he takes a nap, I guess.
2: This actually kind of worried me. I'm like, if he gets a nightmare and turns into the Hulk, That truly is a dangerous thing because during the day you can be, you know, the Dalai Lama or Gandhi and as calm as you want. But if you can't control your subconscious and it turns you into the Hulk, that's really a danger to property and people.
3: Does she give him the name? Is the words Incredible or
2: Hulk ever
3: spoken in this pilot?
2: Yes. She calls him Incredible and McGee is the one who names him the Hulk ah okay because when mcgee shows up at this lab after the lab's been smashed by the hulk he goes there was this hulk seen at the lake okay
3: i didn't catch it i was waiting for someone to deliver him his new superhero name and i never heard anyone say he's an incredible hulk it wasn't quite like that but it was two people in two different moments He's incredible
1: he's a hulk
3: yes okay you gotta (laughs) combine the two i see all right much better Of course, I'm going to observe what I think is obvious to everyone. He hulks out, the clothes rip off, everything, but damn it, polyester pants. That's why polyester (laughs) ruled the decade. The pants stay on. Much to her dismay, I imagine. <laughs> she was looking to take samples off his body. I think I think she would've been okay. I think she would have been okay
1: without the pants.
2: I don't know if she could have gotten the rubber glove on and gotten hump to bend over, but
1: <laughs> Okay. I'm obviously thinking of a different kind of sample then. But... <laughs> I
2: I'm just impressed that she got the slide and a blood sample. That's very calm for such a situation where I would have pissed myself and fled the room.
1: She's very calm and collected. Yeah, I, I have to give her that. Again, this was weird to me. Okay, he gets shot with a bullet. Now he's got bloody knuckles. It is six inch glass, so I guess that would penetrate the skin if you broke it. And he punched in a steel door, so I guess that would bloody the knuckles a little bit, even if you are an incredible Hulk. Now, I'm
2: no scientist, but why does clear glass turn yellow when it breaks? <laughs> I was confused by
1: that. I I
2: thought later on McGee was picking up like a stone, like a moon rock that they were studying.
1: Perhaps the sugar glass. There's some (laughs) chemical with the sugar in the fake glass that turns it yellow. So Elena examines, gets his blood, and then he reverts back to Bruce. And they have, again, all the exposition. How does the Hulk thing work? And she says that the Hulk is still, it's like hypnosis, that the Hulk won't actually kill someone because... Banner wouldn't actually kill someone, that it's somehow there's that connection there. I mean, there was a huge debate online where most irrational debates usually take place. In World War Hulk, which is a more current Hulk story, it was revealed that Banner was always in control of the Hulk. So if he smashed a car, that Banner would be able to angle the Hulk's fist so it hit the car in the right direction that it wouldn't hit anyone that was innocent and kill them. That all his rampaging never killed anyone innocently. Wow okay that was most of the online community's reaction to that <laughs> I have like, no
3: dog in that fight by the way I'm not going to debate that, that that's why I that. liked your reaction Like, oh yes I can see how contentious that is how the angle of his smashing would protect the
1: innocents. Woo! it makes sense we, we go back to that whole debate. no but, but my point is to a lot of people the reason they didn't like that is because it took the threat out of the Hulk that he was just a big kid throwing a temper tantrum but it wasn't really going to hurt anyone so what was the big deal why feel any danger of bruce banner or david banner in this case losing control and turning into the hulk
2: I get that point. The thing is, in this case, I think the audience needs to be comforted and know the Hulk's a good guy. We just need to know that bad things can happen to good people from misunderstandings. And so that doesn't mean somebody won't kill the Hulk out of fear, but that he's our hero. We want to see the Hulk. The people on screen need to be afraid of the Hulk. And David himself I like his pathos. I like his wondering. It's a good element of danger there. And, in fact, in the Hulk comics after World War Hulk, there is a big thing that they lock Banner up because the Hulk is thought to have killed someone. So he just does a lot of property damage, though. So that's okay. <laughs> and with that changing back... That's the one effect this whole series I have to pick on. It's like 1960s Star Trek. We're going to draw a green cartoon blob on his face.
1: Yeah, what was that? Like he had a prosthetic forehead on that slowly (laughs) fades off. It was weird looking.
2: I'm guessing the makeup looked so bad. They're like, let's draw a cartoon over it to make it better. But... After he returns back, I'm no scientist, we've said this a lot this show, does anyone happen to look up, is an X-ray the opposite of a gamma ray?
3: I didn't understand anything when they said the science stuff. And that may be my ignorance, but no, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, because didn't they mention that they could X-ray or microwave the gamma out of him or something? And they do try that. They have the X-ray machine, which
2: the guy also cranked up to 11. <laughs> <laughs> But it does not reverse his DNA changes. No.
3: It starts the question of, I suppose that's the theme of the show, is can he be cured? Would we be okay if there was a solution? And by the end of this episode, he decides not to be the Hulk. The premise of the show is that he's always looking for a cure. Is that the truth of it, Arnie?
2: Yes. Yes. Well, he's always on the run, okay. and most of the time he's trying to find a cure. So half the time, he's on the run to some scientific facility somewhere because he saw a newspaper article or a scientific journal that may have something related Ah, to Gamma. Okay.
3: My question, I guess, then is, is this the right choice for this character? Do we like the fact that he's tortured, or would we have wanted to see him finally be a proactive character and embrace his inner Hulk? I mean, I feel like that would be a more satisfying arc for a movie, but I also recognize this is a TV show, and maybe it's good to draw that whole thing out. But I wanted him to get some
0: closure.
1: Well, isn't this really just the fugitive? I mean, by the end, he's set up for murder. He's going from town to town because he's wanted, but he also, instead of finding the one-armed man, he wants to find the microwave machine that goes up to 11 to cure him. No, very good. You're right. That's how this feels to me. So it makes sense that there isn't that closure. They got a few seasons they got to get out of this first.
2: I love the show's premise of he is haunted. He cannot connect with people because of this monster he cannot control. I mean, another way to go with it might be he's trying to learn to control it rather than trying to eradicate it, but it just creates such a great dynamic for this actor to play off of that it works for me.
1: Yeah, I give you. It works here. Yeah, it works as a film. How many seasons did they do of this, Arnie? Five seasons. Wow. I don't know if I'd want to see that formula for five seasons, but it makes a great story to be contained within a movie or a couple of movies.
2: Well, I am going to be watching all five seasons and reviewing the regular episodes at the Venganza Media Gazette. So no we-
3: way! Of course you are! If you did that for the Blade <laughs> show, why wouldn't you do five years of Hulk? Oh my god, this guy is, if nothing, if not committed. <laughs>
2: Now, during all these scientific eradication scenes, McGee shows up with a cop because David's car was found smashed and a giant footprint was near it. The same footprint that was found by the lake. Now, David is a terrible, terrible liar.
1: Yeah, worse. Like, isn't there an easy story? Like, he comes up with this whole story. My friend took it. I don't know why I didn't. Isn't it like, yeah, I was driving home at night. It was raining. I slid off the road. I stumbled back to Elena's house because I hurt my head.
3: It was stolen. I mean, I was going to report it. I Yeah, there's better ways to do it. What is the excuse that he coughs up? Something like... He
1: said a friend borrowed my car. Uh, they have and, a point. Yeah, he said something happened. The obvious
3: follow-up question is, where is your friend and how can yes! we address it?
2: And why yeah. was he driving towards your house? <laughs>
3: yeah, well, <laughs> anyway, the code there is always the friend. That sort of becomes the wink-wink Secret code for Hulk, isn't it? I mean, later when McGee comes back in the picture, he overhears them talking about their friend.
2: Now, McGee breaks in and is eavesdropping, hiding in a closet. He knocks over a chemical. And this bothers me because Jack McGee, over the course of five seasons, becomes a sympathetic character. But he kills Elena. His snooping causes Elena's death directly.
3: Unwittingly, it should be added. But yes, but
2: directly. By him breaking the law, having no journalistic ethics, he caused the death of a person. And that upsets me.
3: Oh, <laughs> are you going to be alright? Are you angry? <laughs> are you going to do 11 months of research to get to the bottom of this? <laughs> Actually, I, you are. Go to and get, get, and you can see him work through it. Okay.
1: That's my, th- I, I'm not coming with that five seasons of loving this show as a kid. <laughs> so, within this insane story, I don't have that problem. It makes I, me not like this character yes. now I already didn 't like him
3: now. I really don 't like him. It makes Banner more sympathetic because he's being persecuted unfairly by this guy he 's blamed for a death that was actually a result of the guy who's reporting that he 's the blame for the death so there 's ironies a plenty here, but passion is not what i 'm feeling about it
2: and of course, we get the line i can 't go through this podcast without the line mr mcgee don 't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. I just love Bixby's delivery of that line. His voice is quivering a little. Oh.
1: He's so non-threatening, which makes it even scarier. Because now, as an audience, we've seen what he could do. Smash a tent, throw it into a lake.
2: Throw McGee into a lake, which ends all fights in the 70s and 80s.
3: Yes. And it's our secret desire that he does get angry. I mean, secretly, we do want him to Hulk out. Particularly as a child, we want him to beat this guy up. He's so awful, we will enjoy it. You know, I think that's important. It's the push and pull of us all watching it.
2: But the building explodes in a quite impressive explosion. I'm going to give them props on that explosion. And Hulk goes in and pulls out Elena, but she's too injured. He runs off into the woods with her where she declares her love for David. We all saw that, right? I mean, everyone knew she loved him. But it kills me later on that David never hears it.
3: Yeah, I thought that was the right choice. I thought that was the reason to do that. We didn't need her to vocalize that she loved him to know that. That was the obvious subtext throughout it. But we did need to know that he doesn't know what Hulk knows. Hulk understood it, I think, and Hulk reciprocated it as much as he could. He is, what, the big baby? This is sort of David Banner as a child? Is that how I am to perceive Hulk? Is that he's the angry child? It's what she calls him. But anyway, he is still David, but in a retarded version of him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) he is called the primitive
3: primitive
1: it's it's the id of of the person it's all emotion and impulse Okay.
3: I thought that was an interesting relationship, but I thought that her dying was kind of stupid. And I'm sorry, you can't kill two love interests in the same thing and have it be the same thing. We already grieved over the dead wife. Killing the scientist 11 months later, that doesn't work for me.
1: Stuart, the way I put it, Elena dies? Bullshit. (laughs) Like, I totally agree with you. Like, you can't have two love interests die in the same movie.
3: I'm going to ask Arnie, does he always fall in love and do they always die? Is that a thing throughout the series? Does he just keep killing dates?
2: No, but as I mentioned with the Captain America, there are women from town to town.
3: Yeah. But But they get to live? Yes. Oh, okay.
2: Usually he writes a wrong in their life and then leaves. Oh, It's like Highway to Heaven with Big Green Monster.
3: You know what I'm going to say is real bullshit. More than, okay, they had to do this device. So he fakes his own death. He's buried next to her, the scientist that he worked for. They put the headstone next to her and not the wife. That is the whole reason for everything. I think he should be buried with his wife.
2: I also think he got chipped on the headstone fund. Elena has a huge <laughs> monument. And he they both died in a lab fire. So you've got to figure that the lab paid for this. But David Banner, eh, we'll give him a little head- monument there. But Elena gets this like four foot headstone.
1: Hey, look, Banner wasn't getting lab assistants sexually charged up enough to make microscopes (laughs) that go to a million. Uh, Elena, her looks made a lot of things work with that company. They saved a lot of money because she got men willing to do things they normally wouldn't.
2: And as David walks off, we hear the music, the Lonely Man theme, it's called. And I have a hard time hearing that song. It's just such a, a mournful piece. It played earlier when Elena and Bruce were like doing the Midnight Express hand on the glass thing but here it just is so sad a piece of music and they end every episode with that and i don't know i still get a little welled up when i hear that music
1: it's sad it's depressing it's melodramatic but it's also 100 percent appropriate for this character that's the emotions you should feel it's the right emotions for the hulk is that here's this person that can never connect to humanity out of fear of losing control
3: Is it wrong that I hear Love on the Rocks by Neil Diamond in it? I'm just like, I feel like it's a Neil Diamond tune. I feel like, I don't know, I keep getting back to 70s wistful pop. I mean, it is of its period and of its time. I guess, for me, I'm more of a movie guy than a TV guy. I want to see resolution. I wanted to see him work through the wife thing and have it not end on the same note that it began. But it's TV, so it's a formula. It's supposed to be this way. He's not supposed to change. And it doesn't matter how many times we watch him, he's always going to end as the lonely man on the road. For me, that's just why I prefer movies to television. But I understand it's necessity.
1: But if he was like Doctor Strange and the swinging bachelor that could you know snap his finger and create some flowers and yeah. <laughs> snag the ladies, then you're cool.
3: I'm cool with anything <laughs> Doctor Strange, I think. I at least would have watched the second episode. I would have had no idea what the formula was for the next episode of Doctor Strange. Let me put it that way.
2: Unfortunately, by that point, I guess they'd gotten out of the Order 2 movies thing. Or they just saw yes. the first one and were like, screw it. <laughs> yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> so, Jacob, Stewart, do you recommend The Incredible Hulk? Jacob?
1: Like I said earlier... I wish this was an hour long. There's not enough in here to keep it at 90 minutes. And maybe, again, it's a a different decade, different era where things did move a little bit slower. The special effects weren't where they needed to be, where you could have more of the action stuff. You know, the Hulk throwing a tent and lifting a styrofoam tree. It's about the extent of what you could do. But there was a lot in here that kept me engaged. I I almost felt like I was watching the Doctor Strange pilot again, where they set up an effective mystery. Why doesn't Bruce Banner have superpowers like the people around him? And that mystery kept me engaged. It kept me, well, what's the answer to this? There's some great shots talked about. All these shots, which I guess became iconic later on, according to you, Arnie. They're iconic for a reason. They're great shots. And so it's not... The tightest storytelling, but like Doctor Strange, am I willing to be there next Tuesday night at 8 p.m. or whenever this was on? Yeah, I would tune in for the next episode. For, so for me, that is a recommend.
2: All right, Stuart.
1: <sighs> Hulk bored. Hulk can't <laughs> lift
3: eyelids. Hulk want to watch other things. I, you know, it pains me to not recommend this movie because I think it makes for fine television entertainment. It fits the compulsively watchable definition that I define when we were talking about some of those Avengers movies. You would want to watch more of it if you were prone to watch TV, I suppose. But I wanted a movie here, and I can't get past it. I wanted something to get resolved. It's not fun for me to watch characters remain in the same place and never change. And this guy is a sap from beginning to end. I think there are ways to do this. The BBC, a few years ago, they did a modernization of Dr. and Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They called it Jekyll. I thought it was a great take on sort of this kind of Hulkian story and dilemma, and it's much more exciting. More things happen in it. And I just feel like, I can't recommend something where I'm this bored, and that's the bottom line. I think that it it does everything it sets out to do very well, and that the performers conduct themselves admirably, but it's... I guess it's just not for me. So the mildest of not recommends, I feel like that has more to do with me than other people. I think a lot of people will like this more than me. And it's not that I disliked it. It's that I didn't like it. And that's the thin line that uh, makes me go mild not recommend.
2: I think it's pretty clear the way I go. I can't argue with what you say, Stuart. I see some pacing problems in this. But the performers kept me engaged. I'm surprised that it kept me as engaged as it did. For me, it moves along as such a clip, and it really helps. It really helps that I watched a DVD that had no commercial breaks. Because if you stretched out another half an hour into this, and it's a half an hour of ring around the collar and their whole wash clean, then that first part before the first Hulk out may truthfully seem maternal. If this is on the sci-fi network... It could be a bit of a slog for the first half. But on the DVD, there's a lot of detail, but it didn't feel indulgent. I like that they were trying to give that scientific basis. If this were a movie, a two-hour movie, if this were intended as a theatrical film that had the same number of minutes dedicated to setup, I don't know that I would have had a problem with it so long as the performances kept me engaged and it built a character and it built a universe. That said, I am like slipping into a warm bath here by going back to the Hulk. Seeing Bill Bixby, I'm so sad he's gone. I, I miss the man and I am just, his performance here really gets me and it's fun as the Hulk. It's sad as Banner. I, it's great. Strong recommend. Can't wait to keep going with Bill Bixby's Hulk. It's just that good.
3: Well, and you know what? I won't say this much. I am encouraged that I will like future episodes more because I imagine he will come into pre-existing problems and solve them. There will be dramatic resolution. There will be things that he does that makes things happen. But watching this pilot, it was like watching an origin story with no villain. There was nobody to play the antagonist for what was going on. So I'm looking forward to seeing Hulk you know, fight somebody, whether it's, I don't know, a bill collector or some creature. I want to see him have a conflict with someone else rather than his own internal struggle.
2: Well, you're going to get to see that next. This one kind of sprung up on me late. I knew that after this came a two-part episode. What I didn't realize is that two-part episode was aired a long time before the series started proper. This aired on the 4th of November, 1977. Later, around Thanksgiving, 27th of November, came a second TV movie, and the series didn't start until March of 78, so there was a long gap. They wanted to see how the two movies did before picking it up as a series. So this did well. They did the second movie, which was actually in theaters internationally. It's on Netflix as A Death in the Family. It was on TV and in international theaters under the title Return of the Incredible Hulk. And so you'll get a chance to see what an episode could be. Because I have to say, coming out of this, if I wasn't so familiar with this, I don't know how they'd keep it on a weekly basis. If I wasn't here, Stuart, telling you every week he goes to town and finds a problem, would you have known how to write episode two?
3: No, it feels like half of a solid movie is what it feels like. I wouldn't know how you would make a show out of it.
2: So we will be back to discuss that in a bonus episode this Friday. Well, we'll talk to you next time. Puny humans
0: fine battle we had, eh, Banner? Me and your troll? I told you we'd win the day, Banner. Odin willed it. When the troll's upon you, you're a mighty fighter. You're not bad yourself. (laughs) I know. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Incredible Hulk Retrospective Series.
1: You know what scares me the most? Is it when it happens? When it comes over me?
2: Totally lose control.
0: I like it. Part of our Marvel Comics movie retrospective series.
3: Whether you know or care, I've got a lot of pride in what you've done, but this is too big for you.
0: Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another movie based on the Marvel superheroes through the release of The Avengers this May. I've done my homework. The work you're doing here is dynamite while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to check our archives where you can find reviews of other Marvel comic movie series such as Ghost Rider X-Men Howard the Duck Man-Thing Blade and Captain America you think I should
1: yeah you're great with that stuff if we don't
0: get impressive results today we're gonna have a really hard sell come Tuesday well then let's go be impressive you can also listen to our non-comic based movie reviews such as Predator Rocky Rambo Star Trek, Terminator, The X-Files, and many more. How little you understand, Miss Ross, and how dangerous your ignorance has become. You will also find individual movie reviews, such as Cowboys and Aliens, Inception, and Avatar. It was like a dream. About what? Rage. Power. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. We're going to have to watch that temper of yours. You know, my mother always used to tell me getting angry doesn't help. You can also follow NowPlaying on Facebook and Twitter where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. You can trust me to do what I think is right, not what you think you want. The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Let's go. I'll go. You just watch me go. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You cannot imagine the unbearable finality of it. What can I do? You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com.
3: Come on, Bruce. Let's see what you got.
0: You think you can live with it? Take it. You can also show your love of Now Playing podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy panties, t-shirts, coffee mugs, calendars, teddy bears, and much more. You see, I can
3: partake with the essences of all things.
0: (laughs) Do you really believe that I am separate from you? Now Playing's Incredible Hulk retrospective series is edited by Arnie. You poor soul.
1: I guess we've all got our crosses to carry.
0: Now Playing credit narration by Brock. This will be the greatest performance of your life, and the last. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises, Universal Studios, or Image Entertainment. The Incredible Hulk and all of the Marvel Universe contains is the property and trademark of the Disney Company and no infringement is intended. Peace of mind is for the dead, my friend. I guarantee. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Think of the harm they've done to you, to me, to humanity. Now playing is a Venganza Media Production, copyright 2012. All rights reserved. I suppose I'm leaving now. Good guess. We've caused enough trouble.
1: Call me when there is war
3: to wage, demons to fight.
0: Farewell. Farewell.
2: I had to. I have to pull up. Uh, actually, IMDb. Wikipedia is no good for the cast on a single episode. It turns out
3: there's only uh, four characters, <laughs> <laughs> plus some patience. If you really want to get into Jesse May and Bernard, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> what about Miss Epstein? She was ironing during the earthquake. I wasn't What earthquake? Do you know? Oh God! I have some notes on Bernard. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> I would
1: argue. Just, s- just to make
2: sense. Just to interject. Now that we're out of Ghost Rider, it's okay to say it makes sense again.
1: Yeah. Was okay. that just a Ghost Rider thing?
3: <laughs> yeah. No, that was just a Ghost. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Who's Carol Marks? Do we ever have a Carol Marks? I keep putting Carol in my mind.
3: I know who Karl yeah. Marx is. He doesn't really have much to do with Hulk.
2: <laughs> Dr. Elena Marks. Is, is Hulk a communist? I don't Red know. Red Hulk
1: is. I, I, so- <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, this was... Created the original way the Hulk becomes the Hulk was through a radiation bomb that was being tested during the Cold War. I mean, it's got its roots in that Cold War paranoia. We're all going to turn into monsters because of the the nukes, so. Hmm.
3: Well, I like that explanation more than when we get into this Gamma stuff.
0: No!
2: To illustrate one of the things I can't use that I wrote in my 10 pages years ago, now Hulk clean wound with water from lake. Hulk hope lake no have bacteria or mitochondria or whatever.
3: Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and You're then he got some money. Of- <laughs> time than I want to on this. But all right. Can we please get to Elaine? <laughs> I guess it's just not for me. So, mildest of recommends, Arnie, don't smash me. I'm sorry.
2: Hey, you went recommend. That that's shocks I, me. I, was, I was, it shocks Wait, me. I went I recommend? Really,
3: that's, you said yeah. mildest
1: of oh, recommends.
3: Oh, no, I didn't mean that. Let me say that again.
2: <laughs> oh, damn it. Can't we just leave that?
3: <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Arnie's just going to keep that edited. <laughs> now I'm like, I'm, yeah, against my will. It's like the Hulk. <laughs> um i, I i'm Go just ahead. the mildest of not recommend yeah!
2: <laughs> so until next time, reset days without incident to zero
3: <laughs> really okay i mean i that no no I, okay I don't know that's not your thing
2: okay no. uh <laughs>
3: i'll be really brutally honest with you that sucks hey i'd but. rather
2: have you tell me it sucks <laughs> than to keep going um yeah yeah so we'll talk to you next week puny human
3: <laughs> we talk to you next week what? <laughs> you it came out funny you didn't say we'll talk to you next week you well, like, he's doing we hulk, talk at the, he's, do, like, he's doing hulk talk I thought he was Jar Jar. Jar All right. We should talk to you next week. (laughs) Squeeze me. It'd be so much easier if we were doing
2: Phantom Menace.
1: Jeez. So we'll talk to you (laughs) next.
3: In your face. See, that's what you did.
1: Just say, we'll talk to you next week and then add beauty humans or whatever. All right.
3: I like that. Yeah. I like that.
1: There you go. That is acceptable. (laughs) Man, yeah, the things we go through for a tag. Don't,
3: don't make me
2: edit. You wouldn't like me when I edit.
1: <laughs> yeah, the
2: truth.